The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? We're thrilled today because we are having on a guest who we've had on our show before, and we just think the world of him. So we're just so thrilled to have Bill Eddy on our show. Let me tell you a little bit about him, and then I'm going to let you tell yourself who you are, too. But Bill Eddy is a masterful mediator. He's an attorney mediator. He founded the High Conflict Institute in San Diego. He teaches at at the university at at the, um, let's see, you teach at the Pepperdine, yeah, university, and, and so much more. We all love him. We think he has... Uh, you know, taught us so much about high conflict. He's written 14 books, and I have his new book right here, and it is called Why We Elect Narcissists and Sociopaths, and how we can stop, because that is not healthy for our democracy. It's not healthy for our society, and he's going to talk a little bit about other examples in history. So, Bill, um, we're going to just get started because you are the best. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm really glad to be on your show and talking about this subject. Right. And this is just new. It's it's hot off the press. So this is great. Um, So uh, tell us, first of all, Bill, you've written so much about mediation and, you know, narcissists in families and interpersonal relations and you're really you know what your stuff is but how come you decided to write this book well it's really kind of the next step so we talked about family and you and i've talked about divorce and how people can manage that respectfully and then I went on to writing about the workplace and business. And people asked me, you know, what do we do there, especially with high conflict people? And so you interviewed me about that. And this is really the next step because we're seeing high conflict people now entering politics on a really large scale. And when I say entering politics, it's every level. So we see people, mayors, governors, presidents, heads of countries, heads of 
of you know city councils, school boards, PTAs, that we're seeing high conflict personalities right. come into these positions and they want to be elected. Pick me, pick me. Right. And they're like the last people you want to elect. And right. so I want to educate people about these patterns at that level. The patterns of high conflict people aren't all that different from families, communities, business to the world, but people need to know about it. From the micro to the macro. And I, I love what you say in here about in your book, which I'll hold it up again. You say uh, the three keys, uh, the, the three key questions that you researched when you were going to write this. The first one is, can one high conflict politician turn a well-functioning community or nation into one that extremely polarized? And if so, how does that occur? So that was a good question. The second question you were interested in, which is fabulous, is in a time of peace, can one high conflict politician lead a nation into war, famine, and genocide? And if so, how? You're, you know, you're going to talk about that with me with regard to Hitler and Stalin, which you talk about in this book. And the third thing was, can we stop, this is the most important, can we stop high conflict politicians before we, they get that far? So that is enough to get it everybody juicy to want to read this book, which is incredible. I love it. I love everything you write, though, Bill. You know? But, you know, and I relate with my own clients and what I'm seeing out there, too. So, yeah. so let's talk, first of all, for my, for my audience, because this is going to go up on YouTube also. For the audience that doesn't really understand what a high-conflict person is, can you kind of give a definition so we're kind of all on the same page? Yeah, it's surprisingly simple. You look for four key factors. One is the person's preoccupied with blaming others. Everything is other people's fault. They take zero responsibility, and they point the finger. And it's easy as I talk, people are going to go, oh, I know people like that, and they're going to make lists in their head. And that's fine, but don't tell somebody you think they're a high right. Oh, my God. They'll blame you for months or years. So that's they'll blame you anyway, right? <laughs> well, anyway, but it makes it even worse. Makes right. it even worse. The second thing is all or nothing thinking and solutions. So they see problems in all or nothing terms. It's all your fault, not my fault. Uh, the solution is you just leave or do it my way. Right. And so you get this, this sensation that there's no discussion, no compromise, no analysis. It's just my way or the highway. Right. The third is unmanaged emotions. And a person might start yelling or screaming or storm out of the room or do something that's so uh, emotional and the emotions are driving them. They're not even in charge anymore. And not everybody shows this but their emotions are driving their behavior under the surface. Some people, like sociopaths, which I'll talk about, can look very calm and reasonable while they're kicking you under the table. Right. The fourth, <laughs> the fourth is extreme behavior. They do things that 90% of people would never do. And that's one thing I realized over the last few years. This is a pattern of behavior but sometimes you see one incident that tells you there's a pattern of high conflict behavior supporting that extreme incident that occurred. And of course, in the book, there's a lot of extreme incidents. But 
in the family, in the workplace, in the community, and now in elections. It's not that hard to see this pattern. When you see this pattern, I can predict at least 40 other things. And that's in the back of the book in the appendix. There's 40 things you can predict yes. by knowing these first four. Yeah, you have the, the list there, which is just very, very helpful. I know when you've you know taught about this before and you've talked with me before and I've read your books before, it has been very helpful for me to immediately see when I've got this going on in mediation. And yeah. of course, I you know cannot argue, I, you know, whatever it is, I need to do everything I can to let them see that they're, help them to get, uh, to be right, even when they don't even know that, that we're pulling them that way. So, but this is, but it's very um, much harder when you've got a politician. Let's talk about, you talk in the book about Hitler, Stalin, Mao, so can you give us a little bit about that? I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I did a lot of reading. I, I, I read about 20 history books and 100 articles in looking at the past and the present. Right. And people think of Hitler, for example, as an exception. And what we see is, no, Hitler was one of the first. Stalin, many similar characteristics. Both of them had all four of these, for sure. Right. Also Mao Zedong, same characteristics, same way of gaining power and abusing power and, and ruining people's lives, going to war. My conflict people are always at war with the people around them, but when they become politicians, they often go to war with other people because that's just, they see the world through the eyes of I'm at war, it's I win or you win, and I can't handle that. So you right. get this. But what's interesting is those three also had something new that we hadn't seen before in history, and mm. that was the radio. And the radio helped them speak directly to people, emotionally to people, and people heard their voices, the same message over and over in their own homes or in their communities. And so those three caused tremendous damage by having the power to really get a lot of people to follow them into war. They all were involved in wars, but also into picking on populations within their own countries and and killing them. And I really believe it was the emotional connection that they had through the radio that they couldn't have had a hundred years earlier with a newspaper or magazine or something. So I think in the last hundred years, we're seeing a much greater threat than we've ever seen before. I see today we're at more risk of this kind of behavior rather than at less. Oh yeah. I mean, we've got television, we've got video, we've got Zoom that we're doing right now. And of course, we've got tweets and all of the different social networks. That's yeah. and and I think it gets down what what is scary to me and when I'm looking at Facebook and, and the hate that I'm seeing, I just tell people when I'm on Facebook and, and I share something about what's going on and they start getting hateful, I either tell them stop or I'm deleting this. Right. You know? uh, that's that's the way to do it. We need to learn to set limits on each of these new media because unlimited 
someone who's in the you know fringes of society right. can really take over a whole society by their intensity, their emotional intensity. In many ways, it's like taking a hostage or something like that. You just hear yeah. the same thing over and over again. You start believing it, and people don't even realize it's happening. And, and it's almost like they hijack yeah. emotions of, of so many people. And then, of course, you've got the polarity. And we see that right now, what's going on in our society, which is really quite scary. We see it even with, you know, Putin, you know, and his play. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we've got these kind of, um, the thing is that they're charismatic for those people who yes. love that. So you have in your book about that, what, 40% of the people will go for that? And why is that? Over and over. I, I did not realize that until I started researching this book and went to look at. For example, take Eugene McCarthy, not Eugene, Joe McCarthy. Joe McCarthy, with, yeah, yeah. Joe McCarthy with and his TV hearings. And he was like the first to use TV to really manipulate and emotionally affect people. And approximately 40% of the country was enthusiastically behind him and it was all a lie. He was a liar, and what I didn't realize until I'd researched this is that when he, he was a congressperson, little heard of really until he came up with this, he was in trouble with taxes, and he was in trouble of getting investigated, Mm-hmm. And so he said, he, I think it was at a dinner, he said, with friends, I've got to come up with something to distract from this. Oh, my gosh. And so he came up with, there's a red menace. There's communists in the federal government. Mm-hmm. And he had a thorough history of lying all the time. And this was his biggest lie. And yet, he was able to persuade people this is a terrible problem. And through his voice and his face, that, that emotional use of media, right. the whole country was wrapped up for about four years. Then he was censured. 99 out of 100 senators censured him. He basically vanished from the public scene. Three years later, he was dead from alcoholism. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting is even after he was censured, 40% of the people still supported him for a while. There's that and why do you think that is? I mean, is it because they've, they've just got drawn in and, and, you know, just as that narcissist, they just keep, I don't know if it's their amygdala's working or whatever. They're just, they're not emotionally intelligent enough to see. Like, you can't argue with someone who is just, you know, uh, drawn into that, right? You just can't. Well, I don't criticize the people that get taken in because I think with education, they'll be more aware of this in the future. Right. Just a second. I don't know why. That's okay. (laughs) I Um, apologize. But what, what happens is narcissists and sociopaths are the two most seductive personalities. And people think narcissists are selfish and self-centered. They don't realize how seductive they can be. And you and I have both done divorces with people who were seduced by a narcissist or seduced right. by a sociopath. And these can be smart, successful people. 
it's all about emotions and emotions get under the surface and they slowly tell you things that make you become seduced. It's almost right. like a hypnotic uh, process. And then when you talk to people and they say how wonderful they are, think of, think of someone who's dating and you yeah. can see this is a terrible person, right. but they say, no, no, he's really better than you think. They're yeah. almost drunk with that person, right? And the same and, thing I see that in politics today. They get yes. drunk with that. You and know. that's a sign that they have an emotional connection, not necessarily a logical connection. And all of these folks, the people that love them, really love them. Right. And that's some. I mean, I don't know about you, but I never loved a politician. It's kind of like that's their job. It's like I, I never loved a politician. You can respect them for, for yeah, yeah, you can respect them and right. you could like their uh, their personality, saying they're a nice person. Yeah. In fact, you know, you could you could actually think that they're a nice person and not agree with them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that's what we're used to in politics. We're not ready for this emotional under the surface connection. Mm -hmm. And the people who've been seduced by that aren't ready for that either. And I think that's why I want to educate people. But I see it as everybody gets emotionally hooked or emotionally seduced because right. people get hooked into being angry right. or being afraid. Right. And some of them drop out and don't vote. Some of them become resistors. Some of them are moderates who are somewhat immobilized by this. Uh-oh. We don't know what to think of this. We're just going to watch. Right, right. Well, you know, we've seen so many genocides. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, through the ages, you know, we know about the Holocaust, We, you know, Rwanda, right? I mean, this yeah. is scary. And how you um, can use, and you talk about this, that you, these high conflict people who get into politics, attack a group. Yeah. A, a religion or a particular group or a person. I mean, we've even seen that recently with anyone who does not agree with our president is vilified, right? And that's part of the narcissism, right? Yes, and, and narcissists are really good at saying, those people are at fault, I'm wonderful, I'm blameless. And right. yet, narcissists often will say, um, you know, they're treating me so unfair. Right. And I'm a victim. And so they seduce people into helping them. And I do a lot of consultation with high conflict cases in the workplace and divorce. And this pattern exists. People need to know when someone comes to you and says, I'm a victim of somebody over there. It might be true, but it also might not be true at all. And you've got to look deeper. Don't just accept it on face value. Right, right. I wanted to, let me quickly slip something in. You mentioned Rwanda. Yeah. The fascinating thing about that is for about five years leading up to that terrible bloodshed and genocide mm -hmm. was radio. They had radio. Uh, again, the mass media is yes. what does it, right? That laid the groundwork for that. If you happen to see the movie Hotel Rwanda, yes. in the movie you hear some of these young men who were going out to, to slaughter the other people, listening to the radio and the radio saying, it's time to cut down the tall trees, which, because the people being cut down were the taller. Right, right. They dehumanize them. 
And, yeah. and I remember when I went to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and they have the propaganda that was on, you know, on the movies, on the, I guess they didn't have the same kind of TV, but they had movie reels, and they had these huge posters, and they just dehumanized the Jewish people and anyone who was not Aryan, so to speak. And they just, you know, they, and, and we've had this, we've heard of, you know, people calling uh, our, the, the Hispanic people that are coming over, the, the you know, hopeful immigrants that have come in, they're dehumanized as well. Yeah. And this is terrifying to me as I see this history repeating itself. Yeah. Let me mention something with what you just said that I found from the research is that these high conflict personalities pick on very small groups of people. They're small minorities, yeah. Like, like the numbers of people at the border, the numbers of immigrants. I mean, this this is less than uh, you know maybe two percent of the population are people who are undocumented immigrants, and yet, or maybe even less. I don't remember the numbers. Mm -hmm. and people are made out to be hugely powerful and dangerous. They're going to take your job. Rapists. They're, they're, you know, they're all rapists. They're all oh, thieves. Yeah. Right, right. We're hearing and that you, all the time. And you mentioned Hitler and the Jews. The Jews were around 500,000 people in a country of 60 million people. Right. They were less than 1% of the population. And yet... People focused on them as if they were so powerful, they were going to replace them. Right. And it's so absurd. So people have to realize this pattern of picking a small group and making up stories about them is part of how these people gain power. Right. So, you know, you also talk in the book about um, you don't have to be a narcissist or a sociopath to be a, a great leader, right? So kind of talk about that because everybody's thinking, right. oh my God, you know, the greatest right. leaders are these uh, right. sociopaths or narcissists. Yeah. Now people wonder, well, aren't narcissists, a lot of leaders have some narcissistic traits and, and they may have some traits, but if they have a disorder, it's not good because they don't learn. Right. And that's one thing you can see. I always enjoy watching politicians after elections, and some of them really lose big. And I'm curious, will they learn or won't they learn? And some right. of them don't learn, they run again, they get less and less each time, but some learn and change what they do. And that's not the type of disorder we're talking about. We're talking about people who are stuck making demands they're never going to change. And right. the lack of change is part of why these folks are disasters as leaders because the world is changing so rapidly, but they have an image of themselves as heroes. And right. they don't need knowledge, they don't need to read, get advice from advisors. Right, nobody, nobody can tell them they know better, no matter what their top advisors who are experts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and we know people like that. Personally, we all know somebody like that. But when you give them all this power, that's when it really becomes dangerous. Right, right. So what should we look for as voters and how can we not get sucked into this? Well, I think as voters, we need to really recognize this pattern and say, it's not at all about politics. These folks are on the left, they're on the right. They're usually on the fringe. 
Right. So it's so important. Be careful. Don't believe that they're a hero. If they say they're a hero, that's a bad sign. People that are really heroes don't talk about themselves. They Mm -hmm. talk about everybody else. If you look at history, a lot of the really successful leaders may have had what we would call narcissistic traits like Winston Mm -hmm. Churchill or, or JFK or the Roosevelt's, but they learned, they were able to restrain themselves. They were communicating with people, not just talking at them. Right. with a lot of leaders. We see that today. I mean, Eisenhower, right? Eisenhower, yeah. Another really good example. He had to deal with the same issues that other people dealt with, but he did them in a reasonable way. Right, right. That's the key. So looking for, do they have that high conflict pattern? Or is this something that somebody with flexibility, somebody that learns, someone that listens, and those are really good signs. But, but I got a question, Bill. Like we see that, you know, like the New York Times and the, um, and the Washington Post have like listed all of the lies that our president has said. Yeah. And so, but when you point this out to people who are mesmerized by him, they discount that. So, so even if, I work like when you're talking about see if they're lying, see you know what they're doing. Are they talking yeah. about themselves? Are they talking about what they're going to do for the country or whatever? Yeah. I mean, what it, I say, see, that's yeah. the challenge. It doesn't matter that they're lying, right? Because they have an emotional connection, and so right. they they will tolerate uh, lies, and they just won't even question. They'll go, well, you know, that's what they have to say or what they have to do. But what we've, what we've learned is there's really a pattern to the lies. And things. That there's a terrible crisis, there's an evil villain causing the crisis, right. and I'm the hero. And that when people are in a crisis, they'll follow a leader. They'll follow a leader blindly because to save yourself. Whereas you will create the crisis knowing this, right? And they often will create a crisis or say that something is a crisis that really isn't. So I call it the fantasy crisis triad. There's a fantasy crisis, like at the border, you know, migrants are taking over the country. And, and people generally don't seem over time to have bought the migrant argument as really a terrible crisis. There may be a problem to solve, but not a terrible crisis where you need to blindly do something. Right. We're not, we're not like the Cuban Missile Crisis, right? When we, right. when like, when I was a kid and I, I learned to like go and hide under my desk and, and maybe go into some, you know, basement or something. Right. Yeah, it's not right. that, right. It, it's not like tomorrow the world could blow up. Right. But if we're not careful and they get a lot of power, they do become a problem that really needs to be managed. Right. But so I think people really need to ask themselves, is this really a crisis? Is this really a villain? You know, let's take the migrant problem. That's not caused by one person. That's world economics. That's problems happening in other countries. There's there's like 10 causes of this. There's no one simple villain. And the third is there's no simple hero that's going to solve something. Today's problems take collaboration. They take people working together 
analyzing things, using the knowledge of, you know, a lot of other places dealing with similar things. And so the idea of a crisis, a villain, and a hero is a warning sign. You're dealing with a high-conflict person. You don't want to give them power because they're going to create more crises, certainly, than they're going to solve problems. Bill, you're wonderful. Bill Eddy, he's just, to me, he is a hero. And as you notice, he doesn't take credit either. He's very modest. So, so Bill, <laughs> thank you so much. And we will have you back again. And thank you for writing this truly a timely book. We will talk to you again soon. Thanks so much, Mara. It's been my pleasure. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.